0: Welcome to Chronically Chilled on 3CR, where we discuss all things chronic illness, what it's like to be chronically ill, and the social and systemic issues that come along with that. I'm Naomi Chaney, and today I'm hosting the show from Bunurong land. I want to pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal lands, and I encourage everyone listening to find a way to pay the rent. I'm here with a guest who I am very excited about. She's an award-winning artist, actor, dancer, gymnast, and voice artist, currently doing a one-woman show at the Adelaide Fringe Festival uh, called Happy Go Wrong, which we're going to talk about a little bit more later on. But first, I'm just going to ask, how are you this evening, Andy?
1: Well, hey, Naomi, and hello to all the listeners. Yeah, that, that really
0: famous, potent question, how are you? It can be a bit controversial with chronic illness though, can't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's, I meant that totally tongue-in-cheek by saying it's a famous question yeah. um, and because I actually, that I dissect that question um, to the nth degree in my show. In fact, mm. I am right now, I'm feeling really good. I've got a few symptoms going on and alongside that, I'm in great spirits because I'm really happy to be here on your program. So that's how
0: I'm doing right now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I think it's good to sort of admit, hey, I've got some symptoms right now because I think that's it's sometimes, yeah, like we do, we get asked that question and we just automatically go, yeah, I'm fine. Because it's, it's sort of mm-hmm. like, do people want the real answer or do they want the answer that's the social nicety is the... Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I really, I mean, I, I'm not being facetious, like I but you know, I do try to answer as honestly as possible when people ask, but also, you know, I read the room, you know, if, I yep. just, if I'm just out of the supermarket, I'm probably not gonna go into details. <laughs> but I do like trying to be a bring a bit of authenticity to the good old how are you Um, and equally when I ask it of someone I try to give a nice pause afterwards to show like actually I really want to know because yeah Mm. I'm someone who didn't used to experience chronic illness and so I never thought much about how are you and now that I do I'm aware that people can have stuff going on that we can't see or hear or sense from the outside Mm. and so you know maybe we I never assume anymore when I ask, how are you? So um, I actually, I've come to like that question. Um, I You know, I've changed my relationship to that question a lot.
0: (laughs) That's interesting that you say you like the question because I think a lot of chronically ill people actually, like I, I do ask the question on the show as sort of an icebreaker, but I also, I'm very aware that a lot of people really don't like that question after becoming chronically ill. So I think that's an interesting thing that you've decided to embrace that.
1: Yeah, I think that's just generally now my attitude towards my entire illness experience. It's like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still find it challenging to answer. Um, and there are days when I am like, oh, God, where do I begin? But yeah, at the same time, I think I'm, I'm all about reframing every situation to make it workable. I think that's, that's you know, something that certainly I've learned. Um, through this whole like chronic illness journey is like all right well this is the situation so what's possible within that and I also think you know you, you develop a bit of a a good a bit of a wry sense of humor so I like to work with mm. things in a way that may be perhaps a little absurd or and just yeah it, it's great to stretch my perception on On things that I never thought about previously, I guess, which is, which is, you know, which is a big part of the message of my show too. Um, Yeah, yeah. This idea of, um, yeah, how certain experiences can, on the one hand, be perceived as quite tragic from the outside, and certainly from the inside, have their challenges, but also how they can bring about whole new perspectives and possibilities that you never would have had previously.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're an, actually an ambassador right now for the, uh, the, the Lyme Disease Association. Um, can you talk yes. a little bit about what's, so what's your history with that and how did you come into that position?
1: Yeah, so um, the, the main illness that um, I've been navigating is called Lyme disease. Um, It also has many other names because it's very controversial in Australia. So sometimes I refer to it as as tick-borne illness, Lyme. Mm. Um, But effectively, um, yes, I I am an ambassador for the Lyme Disease Association of Australia. And they approached me um, about only about a year ago, I think it was. Mm-hmm. um they spotted an article I'd been interviewed in The Age about artists in the time of COVID back when it was the early days of COVID um yep. and yeah and that's how and and in that interview I talked about the fact that you know I had Lyme and that I was doing a show that shared the lessons I'd learned from that experience and um so that's how I came on their radar and so they approached me and I had a good, long, hard think about taking on the role because, again, like anything, when you're someone with illness um, that takes up most of your time managing it, you've got to think long and hard about what you say yes to. Mm. Um, for someone like me who likes to say yes to everything, you know, that, that's been, that's been a, a bumpy road for me at times. But this was something I, yeah, did say yes to after a lot of deep reflection. And so I work with them in basically raising awareness that Lyme disease is a thing um, because a lot of people have never heard of Lyme um, Mm. or some people have, but they think, oh, that's only in America. In fact, it's worldwide. Um, And also, um, I just like to let people know that ticks um, can yeah, can cause serious illness. Not all ticks. hashtag Not all ticks. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, but that there are some that can because I myself had zero awareness of this before it happened to me. So um, yeah, I I I'd not really heard of Lyme before I got diagnosed with it, and. I also wasn't aware at the time that the particular tick, which I believe, or which is, it's pretty obvious, it gave me the illness um, back in 2014. At that time, I, I, I wasn't aware. I saw the tick and I even saw what followed directly after that was what's called a bullseye rash, which is a very distinctive rash that appears in people who have that particular infection. And so I actually had, I was a very textbook example of what an early Lyme infection looks like but because I had zero awareness I just didn't really do anything about it Um, and so that's kind of my big passion as well is just letting people know that ticks are a thing to be not fearful of but just to be aware of.
0: If you had had that awareness yourself when when you were first um, bitten by the tick what would what would you have done differently?
1: Yeah I would have done a lot very differently I think um, the first the first thing I've learned is that if you have a known tick bite, and that's the other tricky thing, is that a lot of people don't even know that a tick has been attached to them because they can be as small as a poppy seed, and you generally don't feel it when a tick is attached. So that's tricky. But if you do see a tick, you want to remove it as soon as you possibly can, um, because the less time it's it's sort of attached to you for, the greater the the chance you have of it, you know, not spreading, not um, passing on any bacteria that it may be carrying, if indeed it is at all. Um, So there's a whole um, safe way of removing a tick, um, which can be found on Lyme Disease Association of Australia website. And then I think, yeah, if if you do present with a bullseye rash, which is a telltale sign, or, you know, you, you start to display symptoms, earlier symptoms can be, and this is where it can get... Uh, murky because they can be just very generic flu-like symptoms aches pains fatigue that sort of thing Um, but if it does get picked up early on um, whether by you know a good a good Lyme literate doctor which is very pretty hard to find in Australia but if that were to happen then what they would do would be put you on uh, a particular antibiotic called doxycycline nice and quickly and um, a couple of weeks on that for most people, if it's an early infection, we'll just eradicate the infection before it has a chance to spread to other parts of the body. And so that's the big the big thing with Lyme is it's like, if it's picked up early, it's generally not a problem. Uh, the issue lies when um, it has a chance to spread because it can travel anywhere in the body and bur- burrow into organs and tissues and so forth. And so that's when it becomes tricky because it can, um, yeah can take a while particularly in australia to get diagnosed um and by that point it can be harder to sort of come back from not impossible but just a lot more work
0: yeah okay so what's been um what's been the impact of all this for you so you said 2014 so that's been um sort of six seven years now um mm-hmm. what have you, what have you found have been the biggest impacts on how you live your life what what have you sort of had to change around this I guess I've had to change
1: everything actually every single aspect of my life has changed because of this illness experience certainly it wasn't it wasn't like in 2014 my life came to a standstill straight away it was a gradual unfolding where I was noticing my body functioning a bit differently I would sort of get up to get out of bed some mornings and felt like I couldn't walk properly. Um, and it was more that it kicked off in earnest for me in sort of late 2015, early 2016. And that at that point, it was getting to the point of like, I have to stop work, I have to stop performing, kind of stop everything basically. Um, yeah, move back to mum's, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff that you that you hear that's very common um, with people with sort of chronic illnesses um, if they get to that severe phase. So I would say it's it's yeah completely changed every aspect of my life. Now there are good there are good things about that as well as yeah really hard things about that. I know certainly for me 2016 2017 even all of 2018 were really tough years where. Um, there was just so much grief, I think, because it was like a sudden, Mm. it felt like a loss of life, you know, um, Mm. and in a way there was like a death of my former life. And so it was very much a grief that felt like a death had occurred, um, which I wasn't prepared for and which I kind of, yeah, swam through the muddy concrete waters of, And somehow pulled myself out of, and I do think creating this particular show, Happy Go Wrong, played a big part in that, in me pulling myself back out. Um, There was a lot of despair and a lot of struggle and a lot of feelings of, I don't know that I'm going to come back from this. And I was, yeah, I would say I came a lot closer to death than um, I would have liked to have And, but again, having said that, at the other end of that has become this extraordinary transformation and just profound sense of joy at being alive and, um, and recognition that, yeah, most days I just wake up and think, gee, I'm so happy to just be alive right now. (laughs) Um, What's possible today? and Yeah. So it's, it's, I sort of, I often say that, yeah, my illness had this way of weeding the garden. It just weeded out all this stuff from my life, you know, relationships went, friendships went, work completely shifted, all my money savings and my family's got spent on medical bills. Everything kind of got pulled right back to ground zero. And it's from ground zero that, which I would say for me was sort of late 2018, 2019, I started to claw my way back to, to some sort of life. Um, It's a very new and different life, but I have a life and I'm a lot, I'm a lot happier now. And, um, and out of all of that, yeah, came my show happy go wrong. (laughs) which kind of in the title, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of this profound learning that I've had that, um, in, in a lot of wrong, happiness can be found and I don't at all mean that in any um, reductive way or any, it's not as trite as that may sound to people. It comes from a very genuine place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, this is really interesting to me because I sort of, I think a lot of people with chronic illness go through that where it's like you're grieving for the person that you were and then you find... You find the new person. You you need to find that new person, I think. A lot of people do sort of go through that. But I find there's very little support for that. Um, Like you sort of said that that was something you had to pull yourself out of. Um, And I sort of, I find this, this is a very common experience. People, there's not a lot of understanding sort of within the system or psychological support of what is actually needed when people are in that situation. Did you kind of find that as well or...?
1: Yeah, it's very true. I think that chronic illnesses and especially invisible illnesses um, are still like some sort of Wild West. They're the Wild West of the Wild West. It's this strange
0: desert, no man's land. And I love this description. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so accurate. Like, it was my
1: experience. <laughs> yeah, it was like there I was, a, a kind of... Uh, Decrepit John Wayne version of Andy just standing there, like standoff with the tumbleweed going by. It was just a standoff with myself or my <laughs> illness. I don't know. Tumbleweed goes by. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, our system. I mean, yeah, doesn't really. Uh, I think. I think it's getting better, but I think our system doesn't really accommodate the. The the nature of chronic illness, which is which can be very stop start come and go. I'm feeling a bit better today. Whoa! Suddenly, I can't get out of bed again. Mm-hmm. Our system is quite rigid um, and quite. I think great. I think you know Western medicine's great at dealing with acute emergency stuff or stuff that's like, oh, you've broken your leg. We know what to do about that. Here's a timeline. Boom. But chronic illness falls into a category of its own. Time doesn't exist in the chronic illness world. You know, um, it's not a particular ladder ladder to recovery that you climb. It's snakes and ladders. It's all over the place. And I feel for doctors um, in a way, which is funny I say that because I've at times had very challenging relationships with doctors who've completely dismissed me or where I haven't felt heard. But the empathy I do feel for a lot of doctors is that the system is, is, is built that such that you're in and you're out. And, you know, if I have an appointment, I kind of need at least an hour just to tell my story, my history, to pull out the, uh, the filing cabinet full of all the tests and the, the documents and the evidence and the this and the that. And it's like, you know, even a double appointment, you've got to be gone within half an hour. You it's, know? it's
0: still short compared to what you need. And I just it. think yeah. the
1: system doesn't, doesn't cater for that. I mean, yeah, half the time I have to go in. If it's a new doctor, I have to have my bullet points prepared and go in and just,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: be, be quite forceful because um, I've had too many experiences where you just can't get to the crux of the matter because you spend all your time explaining the thing and then you are yep. going to be out of there. And, and for me, it's, you know, yeah, a lot of the conventional medicine system that I have navigated and less so now because I'm sort of very DIY now with how I manage my illness. But it was also very like you come in and then it's like either I write you a script for an antibiotic. Uh, I mean, I got put on so many antibiotics and they all, every round made me worse. Or it's like write a script for something and send you on your way. Or they don't, yeah, yeah. I I don't want to sort of make this generic blanket statement like they don't know what to do. Again, I have a lot of empathy, so I just do think the the system is built not to support them. And I have to also say, look, in the world of tick-borne illnesses, it's just so controversial in Australia that there are doctors that are just too afraid to even go there. I mean, I've actually had doctors say that to my face. Mm. I've had an infectious disease specialist say, you know, yeah, you you have Lyme disease and I can't help you, um, full so stop.
0: Just, it, it just doesn't officially exist here. Is, is that the... Well,
1: it's very murky, yeah. It, yeah. it does in, in the sense that they're like, oh, if you know you've been to America and you've had a tick bite and you've come back, blah, uh, blah, blah. But even then it's like, here, we'll give you the standard course of antibiotics and um, we know that you're then fine. And if you're not after that, then it's something else, you know. Right. Um, okay. But, yeah, effectively the, the simple way of putting it is, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, it doesn't exist here according to, yeah, what our government says, even though there, there are studies Um, back from the 80s and 90s that actually, yeah, that actually found the Borrelia strain, which is a, um, there are different strains of the particular bacteria. And I won't go into all the sciencey stuff about it, but um, yeah, it was found, you know, here, but um, for various reasons, that science was pushed aside at the time. And since then, you know, hasn't been gone back to. Interestingly, there was a Senate inquiry into the existence of Lyme disease in Australia. Oh, wow! That was literally that was what it was called. That long-winded sentence I just said. Um, back in oh, I've got to remember the dates now. I want to say around 2016-ish, 2016, oh, so
0: 2017. Relatively recent, okay?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but since then, um. It's been, things have actually gone backwards for the Lyme community. Um, Yeah, every single doctor that was known to treat Lyme um, has come under investigation by the medical board since that inquiry. My own Lyme treating doctor or now former Lyme treating doctor got banned from practising last July. So I suddenly lost one of my most valuable assets. Um, just like that, boom, I didn't know the last appointment when I saw him was the last. And in fact, it was about th- only three or four days after my last appointment with him that I got a call from the clinic to say, yeah, the board is not allowing him to practice anymore. And it sounds very, <laughs> it sounds like conspiracy theory stuff, you know. I mean, it sounds... It sounds like out of some weird dystopian sci-fi movie. It's like that wouldn't happen in Australia, but it's, it, it's shocking it's,
0: what is allowed to happen. Into like and, not, and like not just with Lyme, but with there's other other chronic illnesses where it's a similar sort of. It's a political football. It's strained that it's health is not. That's a exactly right.
1: Yeah, but. and it's it's really opened my eyes. I, I had no idea that any of this would be going on in Australia until I went through it myself. And I've just experienced it firsthand and heard countless accounts from many others in the chronic illness community. And I just think, oh wow. Um, and, and I think that's something in particular that became challenging during when the pandemic hit last year and watching how much our government can, if they really want to, turn themselves inside mm. out to make a lot of um thing make a lot of things happen very quickly in yeah. the name of supposedly in the name of health for the good of everyone and watching that unfold did you know i i was noticing a bit of ptsd um sort of coming yeah. up yeah. around my relationship with the medical system where i was like whoa this is like really some kind of weird gaslighting reverse psychology <laughs> distorted abusive yes. thing." where i was like what and the whole lyme community was like wow we're like getting the complete opposite to that and it's really yeah very confronting to witness the version of uh, what it could look like you know yeah um,
0: like this is, this is what it looks like <laughs> when they put in the effort and it's possible the whole time but they tell you that it's too complicated or it can't be done or yeah but then it yeah, turns out oh yeah. wait no it can Yeah,
1: exactly. And look, I know that's been a really common um, discussion in in the disability community as well, just in general, sort of, Mm. oh, now we can do telehealth or X or Y services, which we've been craving for years type things. So I know that's not a new discussion in in sort of our community, Um, but definitely, yeah, the the political side to things is something I really wasn't aware of before and now I'm acutely aware of.
0: (laughs) Um, so I am. Um, I am going to get into more detail on the show <laughs> before before the end of the interview. Yeah. Um, but I do just want to bring up something that I found very interesting, just following you on social media. Um, yes. Which is that you've talked a bit about having uh, a sensitivity to mold um, and sensitivity to to various uh, accommodation and housing. Um, and that's been like a pretty incredible journey for you during during COVID, sort of trying to, trying to find somewhere to live. Um, and this is like watching you go through this, this is a very familiar journey to me because I went through this process of trying to find a rental and failing. And I've now, um, similar to you, I now live with my mom. Um, so yeah, that was watching someone else go through that and talk about that very publicly it just sort of felt like oh wow solidarity I (laughs) I feel what you're experiencing um but I guess I just yeah can you can you let people know like what's been going on with you for the the last year with all of that
1: sure well certainly it's a very niche form of solidarity that we've got going on here um (laughs) yeah the whole mold mold sensitivity world wow that's it that's uh that's another whole realm of living. Um, it's like traveling to another planet. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I worked out recently. I'm, I've moved like four times or something in the last year through three lockdowns. <laughs> Effectively, what I was say in a nutshell is that, yeah, the way my illness is manifested sort of in the most obvious day-to-day life-altering way has been my development of sensitivities to generally just about everything. Um, food is a big one. I'm still reacting to all food and water every time I consume. Water as well, um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, it's a whole thing that I won't go into. But And then, of course, comes environment and what's around us um, from chemicals, which are everywhere sort of these mm. days, um various toxins and yes mold. Now yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's really taught me, but living in an um, environment last year that, that had mold that wasn't obvious mould. Um, it taught me a lot about my relationship to my environment and how much my body um yeah can be nurtured by my environment or it can be like my kryptonite as well. So yeah, the the mould that I experienced in that particular scenario, it wasn't what people might think of as mould. You know, it was hidden mould. The house was a super clean house. It was nothing like what you might think. And it basically just taught me that, oh, we're actually all affected by what's in our environment. We're probably quite ignorant to what's in our environment. But those of us who have certain conditions where it's the sensitivity is very heightened, um, it can be like the difference between, for example, in that house, I was having seizures every single night, um, four months straight, couldn't work out what it was, you know, having heart issues. Um, I had a cardiologist wanting to bring me in for a heart heart um, procedure in July, but due to COVID didn't, all sorts of things. Now, interesting for me on that journey was that I got out of that environment and was very lucky to be able to go and live on a friend's off-grid farm um, down on the Mornington Peninsula for almost seven months. And that was a game-changer for me. I just, the seizures just stopped straight away. It was actually mind-blowing. I almost didn't believe it, only that I was experiencing it, so I did believe it. Yeah. Um, and and needless to say that that environment gave me a taste of, oh, this is how I can function if things align, if all the elements align, and there's a lot of elements that need to align, but yeah, and so it remains an ongoing thing where I'm just look. I try not to get uh, too vigilant because you can then create this whole thing where you just become paranoid constantly about you know stepping into a place and and all of that. But look, I will say it, it still happens to me regularly. Like I can step into a shop or a supermarket and feel that particular sensation I feel, which can begin with a little bit of dizziness or something's not quite mm. right. And I kind of know, oh, there's something in this environment. I better grab grab whatever I need and get out as quickly as possible. Um, so I'm, I'm frequently like washing my hair constantly, coming home from places, washing clothes. And, you know, it, it's a whole other life. And look, I have friends who also have mold sensitivity illness and they're on the very extreme end of it where they live in a bubble they live in a bubble they barely leave the house um you know I have one really close friend she'll like step in she's like the mold I don't know what you call it it's not the mold whisper it's the opposite of that but it's like she'll step into a place a detector. and she will, she will <laughs> yeah mold detector and she will like she will sense straight away and to because she'll need to vomit or she'll have the sensation oh, wow. of nausea mm-hmm. and she'll just go, oh there's mold here I'm not going in um, so yeah, it's 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 another factor to my day-to-day living, which i just live with. Um, and there are a lot of people who just live with things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: and for now that's that's my reality, like it is for perhaps you and lots of others um and that's just part of where i'm at with with my illness journey. i believe that it won't always be this way. But um for now that's what it is. You know, I'm in Adelaide at the moment for the fringe festival. So even just choosing where to stay, you know, became a, yes. whole, yeah. a whole it's our it's constantly hours of research and decisions. Where will I eat today? How will I, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, there's always that, that risk. And you just, I just try to tune into my intuition as much as possible and just trust that. I'm choosing the right place to stay and that um, that it'll support my health as best as possible. So,
0: yeah. I've actually, whenever I go <laughs> anywhere now, I look for the Airbnb with the balcony outside because I know that I can sleep outside if the place turns out to not be okay. And it's like more often than not, I do actually need to sleep on the balcony I've I've found. So that's a, yeah, you do develop those. I, I,
1: yeah. I also look for, it must have yeah, a garden or an outdoor area. And I have my trusty tent with me.
0: Yes, um, me because, too.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of <laughs> festivities who always have a tent with them that they can. They know they can jump into in a garden worst case scenario. So look, it's it's. I think to a lot of other people who aren't familiar with this way of living, it it sounds very extreme. And on the one mm. hand, it is, but it's also yeah, fascinating. You normalize how, it, but yeah, yeah. It's It's also fascinating. I was just going to say how quickly it becomes normalized. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, of course, I got my tent, and oh, yeah, of course, this, and of course, that. And, but it's like, no, not of course.
0: (laughs) Yeah. People sort of go, wait, you slept on a balcony for four months? That's actually, (laughs) it was winter. What were you you okay? I was like, yeah, I was out there with my electric blanket. I was like, it was fine. (laughs) So, yeah, you do adapt. On that note, I'm actually going to take us to a quick break. Um, We're going to come back and we're going to talk more about the show, but you've been listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR and we're going to be back right after these announcements. You're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR, 8.55am. I'm Naomi Chaney and I'm here talking to performing artist Andy Smelling. We're going to talk a bit more about her experiences doing her show, Happy Go Wrong. Um, Now, you've talked a bit already, Andy, about um, what your influences were for the show but can you talk a little bit more about what made you decide to actually make a show about these experiences
1: yeah um it's a good question because I think some people would think oh why would you do a show about your illness when you're still in the thick of it people normally do cancer show when they've conquered cancer you know I had I had a few like jokey comments like that from my mates and stuff um But yeah, I think actually a big part of the decision was that I was just after three years of basically not performing um, because of my illness, not being well enough to, I was just mucking around in a studio space again with no intention of creating a show. I was just literally moving my body, trying to see if I could and if so, how I could And I just started to notice how much that was lifting my spirits and how good that was feeling. And I think it just very, it was a gentle snowball from there. It just, it was like something started building on its own. It's almost like I wasn't creating the work. It was just spilling out of me. And I realized I had so many years pent up inside of me of this illness and all the experiences. And there was a lot to express and work through. And it was like it was just flowing out of me and then there was a certain point where I realised I was just creating so much material, so much performative material, both physical movement stuff, dance stuff and also just wacky characters and comedy stuff, sketchy type stuff. I was just doing endless hours of creating stuff and I realised, oh, I think I'm on the cusp of a show. I just have hours of material. Um, So it wasn't like for some performers it was like oh how do I get 60 minutes it was like I've got hours of stuff in me coming out let's pin it all down find some common themes and threads and let's see maybe how these dots might join together and let's maybe see if we're doing a show and it became clear that yeah. I, I needed to return to the stage and share this show. So really, I would say it actually came out of a, a, a deep necessity um, from, from, you know, from my artistic soul, basically, without sounding too grandiose, but that's that was what it was. And I do think it saved me mentally. Um, and I actually have to give credit to, at the time, the psychologist I was seeing because it was her idea that I book a space in a studio and just show up and just try to do something. Um, yeah, and she she was right because out of that eventually, yeah, I was building my way back to a level of health where I could do some performing again. It still, <laughs> still can be very, oh, even um, before the first development performance at La Mama Explorations in 2019, a week before it, I remember sitting with my director saying, I think we're going to need to cancel the whole season. I don't think I'm well enough. But it went ahead. And so, yeah, this is just such a classic experience again that I'm sure a lot of other, you know, chronically ill and disabled artists can just so relate to. You're, I'm constantly on a knife's edge of this may not go ahead, mm. um, which always then when it does go ahead gives it an extra special feeling I think because it's like, wow, this is going ahead
0: far out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find this funny that you say like, I just need to make something, and it seems to me that this show is kind of everything. It's like it's all genres. It's it's a bit of comedy, it's a bit of dance, there's sort of acrobatics going on in there. Um, I've sort of um, I haven't. I'll let the audience know I haven't actually seen the show. This is this is from the from the promos and the photographs that I've seen. Um, there's there's a lot of uh, paper in this show Um, I've noticed (laughs) from the photographs can you talk a little bit about what that's about or is that sort of Ah, yes the famous
1: brown butcher's paper
0: yeah again this
1: came out of that process I was talking about where I was just mucking around in a studio and was creating what seemed at the time like very separate um pieces vignettes if you will um Like I said, I was creating very kind of comedic characters who seemed to have nothing to do with the contemporary dance I was also creating. And also then I just had this idea to start working with this brown butcher's paper. I don't don't even remember where the idea came from. Um, Things just come to me and I just started mucking around with this. I unravelled a roll of brown paper and it unfurled before me and I suddenly saw like a conveyor belt a long pavement and it was like the path of life. And I started running on it. And then the paper started curling up and crunching and doing interesting things. And then I was like entangled in it. And I just <laughs> fell in love with this brown paper. And so it has found its way, just like all the other um, perform performative genres I-, I've- I was messing with in the studio. They've-, they've all found their way into this show. And incredibly, it all works together it's not the hodgepodge mishmash that it may sound like. Um, it's quite magical the way it all comes together. But, yeah, the brown paper in the show almost has a kind of performance art quality to it in that, the yeah, it's sort of I, I move with it and it's um, a lot of it is improvised, but it creates very strong visual metaphor, which for me was a more powerful way of expressing some of my experiences of going through the depths of struggle and illness than if I were to use text. So there is definitely text in the show. I sing, there's storytelling, there's lots of fun stuff, heaps of comedy, but there are sections where it's what is it's what is said not by words um, but through visual imagery I create that I think, yeah, it's more abstract, but I think something that's abstract gives us that power of distance from the subject matter that is also important for me because I'm the artist who also like has the illness and it's very real and it's cool to then create a bit of healthy distance from that, you know, and create something that is playful and is fun to do as a way of conveying some of the messages that I'm working with in this show.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm very tempted to ask, what do you want people to walk away with? But I'm also very conscious of, you know, you may not want to answer that question before people have actually seen the show. Is that something that you are comfortable with answering? I'll ask that instead.
1: A lot of people do ask that and I'm totally fine with answering it. Um, as always, I I believe that people will take away whatever they're going to take away. It yeah. kind of doesn't matter what I say. Um, And also because the show has had a run in already, it's had a couple of seasons, I'm aware of what the reviews have said and what audiences have said and they are overwhelmingly saying that the show gives a strong sense of um, I play a lot with making the invisible visible and that seems to resonate. That is really reading. A lot of people seem to come away saying, yeah, it got me really thinking about the fact that there's so much that is invisible that all humans, whether you're chronically Ill or not, are experiencing every day constantly. Um, but really my main message is just literally I would love people to just stop for a moment and go, wow, I'm alive. <laughs> That's a freaking miracle. <laughs> like, like if we think about like how, how many things could go wrong constantly with our bodies every day. And the world we live in, the chaos, actually the fact we're alive, wowza, we're pretty freaking lucky. So yeah, the big message of the show is just, let's try and find some joy in the sheer fact that we are alive. Um, But yeah, as I say, as always, I actually love it when people come away and they're like, oh, when you did this, this reminded me of this. And I'm like, cool, never thought of that, but that's your experience and your take. And I love that.
0: (laughs) It's a, it's an interactive experience. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So where yeah. can people go if they want to find out more about the show or if they want to keep track of where it's going to be on next or? Yeah, cool. Yeah. So all the info
1: on Happy Go Wrong can be found at my website, which is www.andysnelling.com. And then you can put in the forward slash happy go wrong um, all connected there and that will get you straight to the page that has everything about the show the trailer the images the synopsis all the previous um, reviews all of that juicy fun stuff so yeah it's Andy with an eye by the way I always need to make sure I say that if people go searching but you'll if you google me you'll find me and you'll find the show very quickly so yeah I'm on I'm on at the Adelaide Fringe um, from March the 10th to the 20th at the Bakehouse Theatre. Um, having said that, um, I very much want to do a return season in Melbourne, so I'm sure that will happen at some point. So, yeah, just just keep a good look out. But I share a lot about the show and, um, and my life, yeah, navigating chronic illness. So you can also find me on the socials, um, just at Andy Snelling pretty much everywhere. Um, and you get some behind-the-scenes stuff of the show as well, which is another whole show unto itself in many ways.
0: <laughs> <laughs> show behind the show.
1: That.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the next show, the show about the show behind the show. Um, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on the show to talk about all this today. We've been talking to Andy Snelling, who is a Performing Artist and Ambassador for the Lyme Disease Association of Australia. Uh, this has been Chronically Chilled on 3CR 855 AM. And if you missed the beginning of the show, don't worry. The podcast will be up on www.3cr.org.au chronicallychilled, all one word. Uh, that'll be up in the next day or so. We're on the air at 6 PM on the first Wednesday of each month. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back in April.